I put it matter. It says up there from failure to faith. That would be the title of today's message. I'll tell you a little story happened this week. My son Nate, who lives towards Hartville over there, he's married, got the little girl, Emma. Uh, when he married his wife, Leah, she had a little Honda Civic. Uh, Nate at the time had a Toyota truck. Uh, that has since gone the way of the earth. And when they went to replace the truck, they went out and bought one of these big Hondas. You know, I think it's called a Pilot. Big old thing, you know, big fancy car. And suddenly, Nate found out one of the first truths of marriage. That is that the nice car belongs to her. And so the Civic was passed down to him. And he drove out to work this week, and he texted me. I was out with somebody for coffee. He texted me, and he sent two pictures of a car. And the car had gotten creamed in the front hood. And he said, I really didn't want this to happen today or something like that. And I called him and I said, you know, you need me to come get you or whatever. No, no, he said, I, I just, he said, I was supposed to pick them up and go to our friend's house after work. That's not happening now. I'll be good. So I let a day go by, and um, it was bugging me about that car. I called him, and he said, you can't drive it. I, couldn't, I, I left it at work. I left it in the parking lot. You can't drive it. He said, I took one of the company cars home, and I'll get to it. He said, I may need your help later. Well, those things bug me. If you know me, things that are broken kind of bug me. I don't know why. But uh, I drove over there, and it was while he was at work. I told him I was coming. I said, but don't come out. I just want to see how bad this is. And when I had talked to him the night before and asked him how bad it was, I said, well, how's your insurance? And he said, Dad, I just carried liability on that. And my head about blew off because he had just bought that Honda. He was picking up his family after work. He wouldn't be picking them up in that little car. He'd be picking them up in the brand new monster car. And I'm like, did I really raise a child that was not this smart? Um, did this really occur? And that's probably what motivated me to go over there. And I go over there, they've got trucks everywhere. He works for what's called Rock Solid. They've got trucks and equipment and all their employees' cars out in the front. And I drive through the lot. I can't find his car. And I thought, well, he must have moved that. But there was this little car sitting there, and it looked like it had been hit. And I said, man, two people from the same place hit deer. You know, that's weird. And I went back out on the street, came back through the lot, going through, looking all over for that Honda Pilot. Can't find it anywhere. And I pulled back out on the street, and then it hit me. That other car is his Civic. And I turned around, went back in, and sure enough, I had misunderstood. Okay? He was driving the little junk car that doesn't matter, pardon me, and that's what he hit, and life would be okay. Because I anticipated that part of my retirement was going to have to help bail him out of this. But anyway, I'm kidding you. He's, he's better off than I am. Uh, you ever had life like that? You ever had life where it feels like you hit a deer? You ever had a circumstance in, a, in your life where it just seems like it's all over, it's really bad, it's far worse than you ever could have anticipated, and there's just no way out? That's the picture I want you to see in that Honda Civic today. There's something about Moses' life that you need to know. Raised in Pharaoh's home while all of his people 
are held in bondage. And there was a verse that I read to you this morning that you may not have caught, but I kind of asked you uh, to focus upon it. And that, that verse is here in this 25th verse, or, or, 23rd to 25th verse, during those many days the king of Egypt died, the people of Israel groaned. They groaned. They cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered the covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and remember I had you read this, and God knew. The people are crying out to God, but God doesn't speak. They're crying out because of their slavery, but God's not speaking. God is silent, but his people are crying out, and they're saying, God, it looks really bad right now. It looks like it's not going to be recoverable. We are in dire straits here, God. And it seemingly appears that God doesn't speak. Now the people, if they were thinking, but you know how it is when you get into dire straits, if the people were thinking, they would have gone back to something that God had said to Abraham. You notice in this passage that God remembered the promise, the covenant he had made to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob. When he had said to Abraham, you'll remember, it was, it was one of the questions this morning as we opened the service up on that little Bible quiz that was going on the countdown. And the question was, you know, who was 100 years old when they had their firstborn? And it was Abraham. God had made a promise to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a child in your old age. Your wife Sarah's going to have a child. And this is my covenant with you. You will be my people and I will be your God. And I'll lead you to a land that flows with milk and honey. And all those things are part of the covenant but in the middle of that, God had said this. Your people will come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And what God was saying was, is you're going to go into Egypt in bondage. Now church, what I want you to see is that the fact that Israel, the Hebrew children, were in bondage as slaves in Egypt was not something that God didn't know about. Remember that verse? God heard their cry, but God already knew. They cried out to God. They groaned to God about their slavery. Deliver us. I am so glad that they cried out. But God already knew. Sometimes, church, God's time clock is a little bit different than ours. Did you know that? Sometimes God's time clock is a little bit different than the one that you and I have in our mind. I want to talk for a minute about where Moses was raised. Now, I did not read this to you this morning because I told you I was going to read it to you. So I'm going to read it to you now. It's Exodus 2, 1 to 10. A man from the house of Levi took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that this child was fine, she hid him for three months. That's Moses. And when she could hide him no longer, she took him and put him in a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with pitch and tar, and she put the child in it and placed it in the reeds by the riverbank. 
his sister stood at a distance to know what would happen to him. Now Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe at the river, and while the young woman walked beside the river, she saw the basket in the reeds, and she sent a servant, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and the baby was crying. And she took pity on him, and she said, This is one of the Hebrew children. His sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Can I go call a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse that child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said, Go. So the girl went and got her mother, Moses' mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to Moses' mother, take, the, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses. And the reason for that was Moses means because I drew him out of the water. Now, before Moses was placed in that river, in that little ark, Moses had spent three months in his childhood home. Now, I don't know about you. I don't remember my first three months. Do you? <laughs> I don't remember my first three months. But Moses grew up in that home a little bit longer when his mom brought him back to nurse him and then he was taken by Pharaoh's daughter and he was raised in Pharaoh's house Luke would Luke would write about this later in the book of Acts and then he would tell it this way and I'm going to cut it a little bit short for you so you don't have to listen to me read to you again but he cut it loose this way Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son and Moses was instructed in the wisdom of the Egyptians. He became mighty in word and deed. And when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the Hebrew children of Israel. And when he saw one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. In this next line, I've underlined... You already knew all that, that I just told you. He, he, he sees these two fighting, and he strikes down the Egyptian, but Luke adds this piece. He supposed that his brothers would understand that he was giving them salvation by his hands, but they did not understand. He, he supposed that they would understand that he was trying to be helpful, but they didn't get it. And then Luke goes on to tell us everything I already read you, that, that later there's this argument between these two Egyptians and Moses jumps in there and he finds out that everybody knows and the next thing you know, Pharaoh knows and so he has to go on the run. The writer of Hebrews would say this, when Moses was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents. They saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict and they, they could have never imagined what was going to take place, that this child would be raised up in Pharaoh's home. That was, that, that was the home of Moses. His parents, you have to ask yourself the, self the question, what kind of people were they? And right there, I put a verse up there for you from Exodus 6 that tells us a little bit about them. But I want you to think about this. His parents got married when times were rough. 
His parents got married during difficult times, and God honored that, didn't he? When every other baby in Egypt was getting wiped out, they went ahead and chose to have another one. Somehow God honored that. They didn't know what God was going to do with that little boy. They didn't understand what God might be up to. It took a whole lot more faith. And remember, I've played two videos to you about faith, so it ought to hint you in on what we're talking about today. It took a whole lot of faith. I don't know about you, but to take a child that is yours and to place it into that river, the very same water where children are being born. Having said that to you, when my oldest was just a little infant in a car seat, I almost pulled out from church one day with her sitting on top of the car. So, you know, <laughs> a lot of things can happen. And with God's divine timing and providence, they get to raise that child anyway. That was the, the home life, if you would, of Moses. But I want you to think about when Pharaoh's daughter took Moses back, brought him into her house, into Pharaoh's house, at what Moses learned. And we know that he really did learn. Acts, it, it, Luke would write down this, Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was mighty in word and deed. He was raised in the richest man in the world's house. He was raised in the most powerful man that they knew house. He was getting, I mean, today this isn't worth anything, but I'm going to give it to you anyhow. He was getting a Harvard or Yale education when he should have been just simply thrown into the river. And the Bible says that he became wiser. Nothing could have been better for Moses in that regard. But what I really want you to see is God made use of Moses' training, but also God took time to give God Moses wisdom. And I'll tell you where you learn wisdom. You learn wisdom through suffering and through trial and through heartache and through difficulty. When your hood gets smashed by a deer, when the problems come your way. And Moses was about to enter into that season of life when he grabbed that Egyptian and killed him and then threw his body in the sand. Now you can say, well, he committed murder. Well, yeah, I'd agree with you, he did. When Moses grew up, he went out to his people. He looked under burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. He looked this way, he looked that way, and he saw no one, and he struck down the Egyptian, and he hit him in the sand. And the next day, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he saw them. And he said to them, why are you fighting with each other? And one of them said, you're a prince and a judge over us? Are you going to kill me like you did that Egyptian yesterday? And Moses became afraid. He said, surely this thing is known. And that's when Moses' life took a bad turn. Have you ever had your life take a bad turn? I've had a few of those in my life, and some of us I know have had a real, we, we've had a silver spoon in our mouth, but I know some of us have really been in the stuff. When you get to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, when it talks about May, Moses, here's what's written. When Moses grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
He walked away from it. He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to his reward. Moses, in his biggest failure, set himself on a path that didn't look like it was a successful spot, didn't look like it was the place he ought to be, didn't look like it was what anybody would want to go through. But can I tell you something? God specializes in taking lemons, right, and making lemonade. Scripture tells us this, all things work together for the good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. Now, am I telling you that God was pleased with Moses killing a man? No, I'm not telling you that. Probably one of the biggest mistakes Moses ever made. The biggest failure, he would probably tell you, of his life. And at 40 years of age, everything I've just read to you, that scripture in Hebrews 11, everything I've told you, it happens at 40 years of age when Moses has to walk away from the palace. He has to walk away from Egypt. He has to go away from all of the, the silver spoons in his mouth, everything that he had, and go on the run. I'm going to tell you right now what was wrong with what Moses did. Yes, killing a man was wrong. But Moses' timing was way off. Moses' timing was way off. There was a verse I read to you today, and I'm going to read it to you again right here. He looked this way, right? Here's this Egyptian, he's beating up a Hebrew. He looked this way and he saw nobody. And he looked that way and he saw nobody. And he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And I'll tell you what is wrong right here, what Moses' big failure was. The writer of Hebrews tells us this, what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Let's cut that down real simple. We believe in God. I don't know about you, but I've never seen him. We believe in God. I'll be real honest with you. Aside from his word, I've never heard him. Doesn't change my faith. I know that he's there. But listen again to what Moses did. He looked this way, and he looked that way, and he saw no one, and he struck down the Egyptian, and hid him in the sand. The very thing that Moses did was this. What's faith? We walk by faith and not by sight. Moses was walking by sight. He looked this way, <laughs> nothing. He looked this way, nothing. I can get away with this. Nobody's going to know. He never looked up to know that God would know. Moses is going to set his people free, and it starts with this one man, right? I mean, I'm sure that every Egyptian, or rather Hebrew, had that thought. Man, if I get the chance, if I get the shot, I'm going to get even. Man, if I get the opportunity, I'm going to be sure that we win this battle. Moses looked this way, he looked that way, he saw the opportunity, and he took it. And the minute he did it, not only did 
somebody else see that he didn't know about? Not only did God see that he wasn't thinking about, but Pharaoh heard. And it threw his life on a run. Why do I tell you Moses' timing was off? Because we're in Exodus chapter 2, and when you get to Exodus chapter 6, here's what God says. The Lord says to Moses, now you will see what I will do. Did you hear that? <laughs> now you'll see what I will do. You ever, did you ever act on your own? Sure you have. We get into a mess, and we think we can make this right, and one lie covers another lie, covers another lie, and pretty soon we're sitting in a bucket of lies, right? Moses said, I can get away with this. There's nobody looking this way. There's nobody looking this way. I can do this, and he did it. And at 40 years of age, Moses goes on the run, and the, the whole reason is because his timing's off. It was his timing and not God's. Moses walked by what he saw. Moses had had so much learning in Egypt, he thought he was smarter than anybody else. He thought he was even smarter, perhaps, than God. I can get this done quick. And God sets him aside. You know, you know how long Moses was on the run for before he was put back into service? Forty years. He, he, have may, he may have gotten the best education there was to get in Egypt, and he may have thought he was smarter than even God himself. But God gave him 40 years in the desert to be sure that God's wisdom took hold. I'm going to read you again a verse I already read to you today. It's Hebrews 11, 24 and 25. By faith, Moses, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. He was looking for his reward. That's how Moses was later. At this point in time, Moses is green. So God took him out, placed him in the desert, in the wilderness, put him amongst a bunch of shepherds, people he didn't know who thought he was an Egyptian, places them out there tending sheep, gives him a wife, and lets 40 years go by was the best preparation and education that Moses could have ever gotten for what God wanted him to do next. You ever wait for tables while you're waiting for God? How many of you have ever worked in the restaurant business waiting tables? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. You done that? I've never had that pleasure, I guess, is what I'll say. Some of you are going to laugh at that right now, right? hard work for most people it might not be what they choose but it's where you start Moses tended sheep he tended flocks for 40 years while God got him ready for what he was to do next you know when I went preaching my uh, district superintendent at the time came to me we got a little church for you. I felt called to preach. We got this little church out in Carrollton for you. And we're going to put you in this little church and you can preach. And I went out there and, oh, that was a joy. There was about, and I mean that literally. I do mean that they were a joy. But, you know, they figured out real quick that I didn't know which way was up. 
and they had to educate me with how things work. I won't go into the details of that, but I will tell you that there were two paths to ministry. And one was uh, you could just get a license from the Methodist Church to preach. That's what I wanted to do. Or they'd make you pursue what's called an elder track. That meant college and seminary. And I didn't want to spend all that time, and I didn't want to spend all that money. And the DS, that's a district superintendent in our business, came to me and said, no, you can't go that way. you got to go this way. So I became a seminary student, and I went that whole path, and I jumped through every hoop they laid before me. I did everything there was to do. I liked learning about Jesus at that seminary so much that I went back, and some of you may not know it because I don't require you to doctor me, but I got a doctoral degree. Oh, aren't you impressed? I know pastors who will say, you'll call me doctor. <laughs> Please don't do that to me. But I say all that to say this to you. You know where I learned how to do ministry better than anywhere? It was at the Penn Value King grocery store in the east end of East Liverpool, bagging groceries and carrying them out and putting them in the back seat of people's car and getting to know how people are and what they're like. Oh, sure, I take all that theology stuff, and I, that's good, but I learned how to do what I do back here. You know what God was doing with Moses? Moses, you're so smart, you couldn't wait on me. You had to start with that Egyptian. Once you kill one, you'll kill another. Moses, that's not my timing. You're going out here to my school now. And Moses, I'm going to teach you amongst the sheep dip and the struggles what it really means to be a person of God. You see, most of us, we, we want to we see on the on the guy that God's called. We want to see the robe, don't we? We want to see the clerical collar. We want to see it all looking how it's supposed to look. And that's what we think about our own lives. We got to put on this appearance, you know. But we never let others around us see that we hit a deer on our way to work, that something's happened in our life. We got fired from a job or we lost a job or the marriage fell apart or a child was born that's got used problems. Whatever it was has come our way. We've got a drinking problem, a drug problem, whatever it might be. We don't want people to see that because, man, at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, we got to look like what we claim to be. And we don't realize <laughs> that all things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to his purposes. Even the car wreck. Moses, you're going to spend 40 years in a place that you could never imagine. There are three periods in Moses' life. 40 years as a prince, a son of Pharaoh in Egypt. 40 years as a shepherd for his father-in-law in Midian. And then God raises him up to lead the Hebrew children out of that bondage. See, Moses had all the smarts. Moses needed to have an education. Moses had the degrees, but what Moses needed was what he'd find in the school of hard knocks. We discount that God can do that, and we miss the boat because we discount God's power to bring us out of bondage and into the freedom that is only found in Jesus Christ. Moses had to learn how to wait on tables while he waited for God. 
This morning's message, I've said a few things to you, and I'm not done yet, but I want you to get these points. When it seems that God is doing nothing, when God is silent, be advised, God's listening. He heard those people crying out to him. When it seems that God is doing nothing, understand that it may not be God's time yet. God's timing is different than ours. When it seems like God is doing nothing, understand that he's active in the world. It's just you may not see it, and his ways are not our ways. If I was going to bring Jesus on earth, I would not have him born in a manger in Bethlehem. Why would we have a party, you know? You think that thing with the king of England was something? You just look what we do, but that's not God's, not God's way, that's my way. Moses waited on sheep. Moses mocked the barn before he was able to serve God. Moses, for 40 years, walked with a shepherd's hook before God gave him the, the rod that would part the Red Sea, the rod that he'd touch a stone and water would come out of it. In church, Jesus said something about those that are faithful in small things being given greater things. We got to grow. We got to wait on tables while we wait for God. And there's one other thing about Moses, and I'll this will be my last point, but it needs to be made. It's the it's the it's the it's the main thing. It's the bottom line. We do the impossible when we learn to look for the invisible. When Moses looked down the road, actually there was someone there. He just didn't see him. And when Moses looked this way down the road before he killed that Egyptian, there was someone there. He just didn't see him. And, and Moses could have looked up. He could have looked behind himself. He could have looked anywhere he wanted to look. And there was going to be someone watching him, right? It's just Moses wasn't looking for them. When we begin to look in our lives, in the car accident that we've made, in the wreck that we've endured, in the mistakes that we have made, and the sins that we have committed, somewhere in all of that, God says, I can work with that. I heard a guy this week, and this is going to be a silly illustration but it made for a great debate with my wife <laughs> i heard a guy this week say that recycling is more expensive than just throwing it out and some of you may share that opinion i don't care if you do or don't that's not the point it's the same thing with what you go through it's the same thing with our sin it's very expensive but the good news is you don't pay the price. The good news is that Jesus did. And if Moses would have looked down that road, he'd have seen that God was there. And if Moses would have looked down that road, he'd seen that God was there. And he would have known that it wasn't yet God's time. It wasn't time for him to do what he was doing. That God had a plan. That God knew that, Israel, that the Hebrew children were crying out. God knew that they were suffering in their slavery. God knew what was happening. But instead of looking for God... Moses just looked to see if he was going to get caught. And when you look for the invisible and you find it, him, God.
God will enable you to do the impossible. And I'll tell you how I know that. Remember what I told you. Moses walked by sight and not by faith. That got him in trouble. Scripture says that we Christians walk by faith and not by sight. Church, when Jesus went to the cross 2,000 years ago, he went there because he loved us. If none of the rest of the people in this room were here today, if nobody else existed in this world but you, God would have went to the cross because he loves you. And you'd say, yeah, but look at what a wreck I've made of my life. Look at how, how many things I've done. God could never accept me. No, 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 no. God loves you. His ways are not our ways. And while it may not be today, and it may not be a year ago, or it may not be a year from now, that you come to the realization of that truth, God's love never decreases a bit. He just continues to love. And one day, the lights will come on. When you begin to look for what you can't see right now, and God reveals it to you, that is that he died on that cross to forgive you of your sin, to come into your life, and to enable you to do things you never dreamed possible. When Moses struck down that Egyptian, I assure you, he thought his life was over. When Moses lived out there in Midian, tending sheep, he thought, this is as good as it gets. God said, no. No, 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 no. I'm going to use that for my glory and for my honor. You just have to follow my plan, my timing. And be obedient to me. Amen. Feel like standing with me? Stand. We're going to sing Shout to the Lord.